Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Series 2 of the Sanya Sisters podcast. I'm Tista. And I'm Amber. And it's so wonderful to be back at the mic sharing stories from the international maternal and newborn health field. Now, for those of you who are new to the Sanyu Sisters, it is great to have you. And in the way of introduction, we are two friends and we're both early career researchers in the field of global maternal and newborn health. And we are based at the Sanyu Research Unit in Liverpool. We're both passionate about international health. And together, we set up the Sanyu Sisters podcast as a fun and friendly platform to share stories and learn from specialists across the globe to unite our maternal and newborn health community worldwide. And although we're only a grassroots project, we were so overwhelmed by all the encouragement and support from our first series. (laughs) And we couldn't believe that over a thousand of you tuned in. Thanks to your support, we are back for series two. When planning the series, we turn to you, our listeners, for your advice on where we should go next. And it's fair to say the resounding opinion was to hear more from pioneers about the paths they have taken to forge a career in international maternal and newborn health. And we are so excited to share with you our second series and it is titled Hear Her, Pioneers in International Health. Each month we're going to be speaking to inspirational leading female figures sharing their journey and how they've navigated the changing landscapes to drive forward work for women and newborns all over the world. And that's not all. One of the main reasons we set up the Sanya Sisters was to amplify the brilliant work being conducted in this space, to share knowledge and ideas and unite our community together. So each month we'll be utilising our social media platforms to shine a spotlight on some brilliant projects being conducted in maternal and newborn health across the globe. We're always looking for new voices, so please, please get in touch if you'd like us to share the wonderful work that you're doing. As ever, we also love hearing from you, so do let us know on Twitter at Sanyu Sisters or Instagram at Sanyu Sisters Podcast how you're getting on. We can't wait to hear what you think of this series. We've been so keen to try and build as many connections and collaborations across the globe, and we're delighted to reveal that our Sanyu Sister family has got that little bit bigger. <laughs> Um, And we'd love to welcome uh, Lily, Grace, Sashini and Natasha to the Sanyu Sisters podcast family as our new social media team and campaigns and outreach officer. All these brilliant women will be bringing some fantastic new energy and ideas to keep us evolving and getting better and better. And we'll be sharing more information about these lovely ladies in the coming few weeks. So... On to our first guest. So this month, Tista has been chatting to Lenka Benova. And Lenka is a professor of maternal health at the Institute of Tropical Medicine in Antwerp. And she's going to be sharing a bit about her journey into global maternal and newborn health. So I'd like to introduce Lenka Benova, who is a professor of maternal health at the Institute of Tropical Medicine in Antwerp. Although starting out in business management through coordinating projects for Medicine Sans Frontières in Nigeria, Palestine and South Sudan, Lenka saw firsthand the impact that socioeconomic inequity has on health. Motivated to learn more, she holds a host of academic achievements, including two masters in Middle Eastern studies and demography, as well as a PhD in population studies from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. She's passionate about maternal and newborn care 
and in particular understanding postnatal care provision in healthcare facilities, which is how our paths crossed. On a personal level, she has been such an encouraging and supportive mentor to me, with her finger firmly on the global health pulse. And from the first time I met Lenka, it was clear how passionate she is for fostering global partnerships and collaborations. And this is reflected in the many worldwide collaborative projects she's both leading and a part of. And as Adura, one of our previous guests on the Sanya Sisters podcast, mentioned, Lenka really works with everyone. So without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Professor Lenka Bonova. How are you doing? Hi, Tista. Good morning. I'm fine. Thank you for having me. No, thank you so much for speaking to us today. So let's go back to the beginning, Lenka. Um, you've done so much incredible work in global maternal and newborn health. Where did your interest start from? Well, I think, Tista, the story for me begins pretty much like everyone else's, and that is with a personal experience, a personal story, because health and well-being is so intrinsic to our lives, you know, daily lives, our families, our um, experiences as we go through life. Uh, it's it's completely impossible to, yeah. um, you know, to, to spend the day of your life without thinking or worrying or um, arranging for somebody's um, uh, health. And so for me, the story started when I was uh, um, in, in, you know, primary school and in high school when my, uh, when my mom got sick with breast cancer. And, um, you know, she unfortunately ended up uh, passing away after many years of um, chemo and radiation therapy, which were really um, horrific. But, um, you know, when she passed away and I was 16, um, I, I, I remember asking my father, how long did she, could she feel the lump before she um, she went to the doctor and my dad said, oh, it was about a year. And something really broke in me, you know. Um, and I said, I said to myself, you know, how is, it, how is it possible that you would have known something was wrong with you for a year and not have gone to seek help? Um, and there are many reasons people do that, right? They don't trust the health system. They, they're in denial um, they have other things to do. Nobody's supporting to, for them to do that. But really, you know, my 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 interest from a personal but also professional standpoint started there. I think, you know, looking backwards, of course, is to say, you know, what makes people engage with healthcare services? How do they understand their own health, the health of somebody else's, um, you know, their families? Um, and it, it, yeah, it went from there, really. Gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Lenka, because I think you're absolutely right. It is these real examples that happen in our lives that then influence the choices we make, um, both personally and professionally. And so did this experience prompt you to then start working within public health or was there a bit of a transition? Did you do something to begin with? No, I started actually with uh, business management and I mm -hmm. thought, you know, this is something that, you know, perhaps was a little bit more suitable to my personality, you know, understanding how organizations work, how you can manage teams, um, how you might be able to get things done efficiently. So I started uh, with business school, but I've always worked in a healthcare environment with Medicine Sans Frontier as a project coordinator. 
And what made you move from a management capacity to research? I think I was always headed that way. Um, to be honest, it wasn't a change of a change of plans. It was more, mm-hmm. you know, the the management was the skill that I was bringing to deliver healthcare services or to make something happen on the ground. And once I had seen various ways of providing healthcare, and I was sure of myself that um, I could relate to you know, what we call now the front line, which is a terrible word, but, you know, the mm-hmm. provision of healthcare services that I could then move towards research because you, I mean, you really cannot research something you don't understand. And do you think those experiences are important to have to start with? Or is it something you can do in parallel? Or does it really matter? No, I think everybody takes a different path through their through their life. And you might, you know, some of us might be more privileged and be able to see uh, different settings, different contexts, even while fairly inexperienced. Uh, <laughs> others might be very much, um, you know, based as clinicians, for example, in their local health systems and, and get the experience from there. So I think, I think it probably doesn't matter whichever way, mm-hmm. whichever path one takes, as long as you f- you feel that you've grasped somehow the basics of the way people interact, not just mm-hmm. within clinical teams, but with the health system as a, as a whole. And, and that experience obviously can come from where you're sitting mm-hmm. right now in your own country. Right? I think, and I love that term that you're using about paths and journeys, as I think that is a really brilliant way to look at a career, that it isn't about a single goal or endpoint but actually about this narrative that you're building with every experience that then develops into an overall direction. Are there any specific projects that you're involved with at the moment, Lenka, that are particularly exciting to you or have caught your interest? Well, as as many of us, I imagine people who will be listening, uh, we had been somewhat derailed by uh, what is happening at the moment with COVID. At the Institute of Tropical Medicine, we have been working with a research center called Maferenia Research Center in uh, Guinea. And they are uh, a team of excellence in their country looking at the provision of maternal and newborn health care, among other things, of course. Um, and together with them, uh, with a number of researchers, we've been um, following a cohort of women uh, who are seeking health care for antenatal childbirth and postnatal care in rural health centers um, about um, two, three hours drive from the capital Conakry. And mm-hmm. that project originally for us was um, we were going to work together on understanding how women who give birth in these rural health centers then are engaging with healthcare uh, in, in the postnatal period. So you know, how long do they stay in these health centers? And after being discharged with the baby, um, you know, do they come back for outpatient visits or do they engage with the community health workers and how that contributes to um, them receiving preventive wow. and emergency care if needed. Um, now, of course, uh, COVID has, has stopped our ability to engage um, you know, very closely because we are not able, we were not able for many, many months to travel there and to engage with the, you know, data mm-hmm. collection and with the team there, which is unfortunate. But we, of course, hugely benefited from this team's experience with a previous pandemic, which was Ebola. And 
because they have extensively engaged with providing care and researching mm-hmm. how the healthcare in Guinea had been disrupted uh, during Ebola, that we were able to put together a project very early on um, in 2020 about how COVID is disrupting the provision of maternal and newborn care um, and what are the lessons we can learn from that. So this has been ongoing um, as our postnatal project is, you know, is is moving quite slowly, but uh, they've been able to to gather routine data from hospitals and health facilities about the utilization of healthcare during COVID, um, even though actually COVID hadn't, Mm -hmm. you know, in 2020, luckily hadn't hit um, uh, Guinea as much as he had 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 an effect on other countries globally. Which I think is is again a wonderful opportunity, and it's something that we built on in the first series. Is actually that these wonderful projects and collaborations that are coming in to effect as a result of COVID. Which, um, although that wasn't your primary research question when you went in, and you were interested more in postnatal care generally pre-pandemic. Obviously, this this is something that we have to take note of because, like you mentioned with Ebola, you know, when the next pandemic comes, then we can be a bit better prepared. Um, we can learn from the lessons that we've had from previous examples. It is exciting to hear how new projects have come, although grappling with the problems that the pandemic has rolled out. Um, what would you say? I mean, you've had so many different experiences, Lenka, from, I mean, we're talking from business, you know, management to uh, organizing projects, to then doing research. Which sort of skills do you think have been transferable? I think probably the core skill is sort of just self-organization, right? Um, what, What kind of timeline are you working on? What do you wish to accomplish in a certain time and how that might change depending on the speed at which um, everybody else in the team is is moving? Um, And balancing a little bit between what is the stated objective, right, to accomplish, Mm -hmm. you know, write papers or give presentations or, or, you know, finalize a report, but but also what you're trying Mm -hmm. to accomplish in terms of um, everybody's learning, right? So we don't necessarily pay a lot of attention to that in, in management. We are just trying to get things done. But as you, you know, you move towards research, I think a bigger part of your job is is actually uh, providing the kind of environment for others to grow while accomplishing something. Definitely. I think that concept of mentorship is hugely important and invaluable, something I've definitely benefited from. As we move forward in this space, what do you think the future of global maternal and newborn health would look like? I'm, I struggle a lot about, you know, what is the future of global health? Is there such a thing as a global health, really? Because uh, you know, local perspectives, local understanding with, you know, cross-country learning is mm-hmm. actually the way to go. I don't, I don't see any anything such as global health, um, you know, with its current undertones of colonialism, mm. racism, and 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 resource mm-hmm. extraction, right? Uh, being um, mm. being the future. So I think, you know, what I say to what I say to people who are, you know. Western and and really interested in in helping low resource country or learning about those settings is actually you need to know your own health system mm. first, know one system very well. Which you know most most for most people it's their own country's health system, because then you can begin to link, draw parallels, 
uh, you know, extract lessons across different settings that could be helpful to both settings. Um, but yeah, the, the future of maternal and child health, I think, you know, on a political level, Tista, it's just going to have to be mm-hmm. a lot more money. We've been trying to do on a shoestring something that is impossible. You know, you cannot have a well-qualified workforce, sufficient workforce, enough facilities and hospitals. And if you haven't got the money um, and, you know, there's, you can organize as many training and refresher and and whatever respectful maternity care Mm -hmm. courses as you want. But at some point it stops with the money and and we do need a lot more of it. Um, in low resource settings. So I think if we can do something is to get more radical, more political about mm-hmm. resources. Um, and, and in our daily work is to get more local um, rather than um, sort of transplanted or parachuting into other people's contexts. And I think that was something that definitely in the episode that we discussed with Adora was discussing this this point of financial inequity that actually... You know, there was a thirty-three billion pound deficit to begin with pre-pandemic, and now we have the pandemic that that increases that gap even further, um, and makes achieving, as you say, the sustainable development goals harder than ever. And I wonder if we could go back to uh, your comments about the need for sharing knowledge and sharing experiences. How best do you think we can do this? Yeah, I, I think this. The, the the one thing that really keeps me up at night is is how do we do that because covid has exposed this um to to a huge extent and actually what I don't want to say surprised me but but upset me the most is how little the experience mm. the the crucial experience of our partners from sub-saharan africa had been heeded in high income countries uh you know if yeah. Knowing what I know, of course, when COVID was coming at the beginning of February, if I had been running a maternity ward in Slovakia, I would have tried. I would have tried to find somebody in Nigeria or in Guinea or in Sierra Leone to tell me how did you guys arrange this healthcare when you had a super infectious disease mm-hmm. around. Um, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen a lot of that learning happening and and listening. And even to this day, you know, we have a project where we try to collate experiences, adaptations, little innovations in the way we provide care during COVID um, to preserve them and put them on a website. And when I speak to partners from European countries about this, it's like they gloss over. They don't see the relevance to their daily Mm. life, you know, running a maternity ward in Italy to what had been put in place very successfully, I might say, um, in many sub-Saharan African countries. And interestingly, not just the ones that had Ebola, Mm. but also the ones that prepared well for Ebola, but didn't end up having any. Mm. Um, and so the, you know, the, the way which we interact bi-directionally, as you say, across settings is, is really on my mind. I don't know, to, to be honest with you, how do we improve this? And especially at the time when it's needed most, that people are actually very busy mm. with just getting the day-to-day clinical or research work done. But it's going to have to happen. Otherwise, we lose yeah many of the lessons that can help us prepare for the future. Absolutely. And as you rightly say, without heeding these lessons learned, how can we possibly prepare for the future? I just wanted to go back to the MATCO project, which I think you were just referring to. Can you tell us a little bit more about this work and some of the lessons that you've learned during this process? 
I think the most important lesson that I've learned myself is, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we all sort of struggled to to find a place where we could be most helpful. And especially when, you know, we are global health researchers stuck in our high income settings. Uh, at, in the Matko study, we've engaged um, in on three different levels. And the first one is um, trying to hear from the health professionals themselves, from the midwives, nurses, obstetricians, neonatologists, what is happening in their uh, daily life and how they are affected. Um, the second level is the one I spoke about, the solutions. Um, you know, how have you adapted uh, your your work environment, the way you provide care? And the third one, dare I say, the most exciting actually has been understanding how um, maternity wards in hospitals are affected uh, by COVID. So it's it's both elements of how do you restructure the provision of care, but also how has the utilization of care um, changed? Um, and I think, uh, you know, hearing from other networks and other groups of people working on maternal health during during the time of COVID, men, a lot of the attention was focused on what is happening nationally, right? What, what is the Ministry of Health doing? How, how are the lockdowns affecting um, health seeking? What do we know about where women are giving birth if they're not going to health facilities? But I think this sort of more micro perspective of a hospital or a hospital-based maternity ward um, is probably, um, you know, quite different, a little bit unique um, to what everybody else is doing. So I hope, you know, the pieces little pieces of the picture that everybody's gathering from various perspectives, various levels, um, if we can synthesize them rapidly and uh, and make sense of the lessons learned across context can help. Definitely. Going back to your career now, would you say that there's been any single point where you thought, do you know what, I'm definitely working in the right field. This is exactly where I need to be. Or equally, has there been any point that you thought, do you know what? I think I need to change direction now. This isn't quite where I'm, where I need to be. My interests have changed. And and can you remember any of those points and how you felt during them? Very good question, Tista. Um, I think I mean I wake up every day excited to work. <laughs> to be honest, um, so I think that sort of confirms to me that I am, I am happy in the place I am, um, and I can't get you know can't get to my computer fast enough. To, uh, to to start the, the day's work. I think the priorities, I think, of what I do daily have changed over time. And so it's gone more from, you know, producing um, particular research outputs, as you would if you're a member of the team, more mm-hmm. towards, you know, thinking strategically, grant writing. And then, of course, a large part of my day is, is, is made of supporting other people to accomplish what they want, whether it would be other teams or other individuals, such as, PhD students. Um, and so, you know, just the breadth of the different tasks in a day also takes away, um, you know, any risk of mundane or repetitive task. As you <laughs> but I think, you know, the, the interesting part of working in maternal health is that it is such an excellent reflection of how health systems work. Because to provide maternal care, as you've said, you need, you need preventive, you need, you know, you need to have healthy individuals growing up in a society from the day that they are born in order to be able to, um, you know, function as healthy individuals to reproduce 
Um, and then you've got the, you know, the outpatient care, which we provide usually for during pregnancy and antenatal care. And you have inpatient care in hospitals or health facilities for births. Um, but you also have very high intensity specialized care, which we need for women who have complications or for newborns that are born prematurely or sick. And, and in that breadth of services you need comprehensively to provide good quality maternal care, you capture the whole health system and beyond. You capture, you know, is there a road to this hospital? What is the education system like? Why don't we have enough midwives? And and I think that that makes the job particularly interesting. You know, if I compare to to, to researchers who might be much more um, specific about their research areas. Yeah. And I think I, I'm, I'm interested to learn more, Lenka, about how you manage that strategic oversight. How do you balance that with the existing work that you're doing? The way I think about my role, right, and we are just one small bit of a large ecosystem of research, but also of provision of care is, you know, is not to get too, uh, too self-focused, right? Because if, you know, if I don't do this or if we don't get this grant, Will the work not get done? I mean, it's quite unlikely, yeah. right? So it, the, the way to look at this is, okay, you want to do your best. You want to, you know, bring some innovative points to the, you know, you want to help improve healthcare and health services and health of, of, of women and populations. Yeah. But it's a team sport. And the team is not just the people who are within my team, mm. but, you know, we are many people globally working on these issues. And so if... Um, you know, a, a grant or an idea doesn't pan out, you know, perhaps it's, there is a different try. You can try again with, with a different um, vision or a strategy, um, or perhaps you can also support the people who are working on it at the moment already um, in different ways. But the, you know, the other thing is you also need to look, you know, to see, to see the future or to see where you fit in the future in making the future a better place is um, is to engage not just within your field it is to stay very quite generalist broadly you know you need to you need to see what's happening with our planet you need to understand and engage with how we organize ourselves as societies um, uh, the you know poverty equity um, and and also to you know to understand a bit people's lives the diversity of people's lives and so you know some of the most interesting and impactful researchers I've worked with are actually very generalist you know you will come to their office and they will cite for you a section of Shakespeare because they had you know just been to the to the theater the day before and um, it was inspiring you know I mean people who read very broadly people who engage culturally um, and read beyond their fields um, and and sort of put pieces bigger pieces of the bigger picture together to understand how they can be relevant. I think that's fantastic advice because I think um, in terms of diversifying your interests, when you are structured within a PhD, you're very focused, and I think that's the sort of level that you're at because the idea is that you're investigating this this topic in depth and this specific area in depth, and I think that that that's right. That's that's in the focus. But obviously, as you progress and you move through your career, what's interesting hearing from you is actually how you can broaden that depth. And it doesn't mean that you stay focused, but you look at things from a wider perspective. And and, and as you're describing, talking about culture, um, thinking about links 
and how these link in and weave to create a society, which is absolutely fascinating. And ultimately, it's probably where the change or greatest impact, if, if, if you want to think of it that way, um, lies. Yes. Would you say there was any mentor or inspirational figure that you had um, which made you think global maternal health was for you or equally has sort of guided your career decisions and steps? Sista, you know, actually, I was thinking about the, this question in particular because, um, you know, of, the, of, of our discussion now coming up, but also because I'm at the point where I'm trying to figure out how to be the best kind of mentor for others mm-hmm. uh, or a supporter of others, right? Because, you know, mentorship sounds very one way, but we learn a huge amount from every relationship that we have mm-hmm. with, with our research peers, whether they be in the master's course or in a PhD course or... Um, uh, already postdoc, um, and I mean, I could I could say a lot about various individuals who, um, from whom I I learned a lot. I mean, Professor Una Campbell, my uh, my supervisor, my PhD supervisor, uh, Professor George Lubides were really incredible in in providing me the support that I needed. The you know the freedom that you need to figure out what you want to mm-hmm. do, but actually. I think, you know, looking back of a, you know, career that takes, you know, 10, 15 years to, to, to be shaped, you know, mm. whether you have clinical training first or you do a bachelor's in something and then a master's and a PhD, it's a, it's a long, mm. it's a long period of time during which you are shaped as a researcher, as a potential independent researcher. You, you really interact with so many different people and each one of them shapes you differently, whether you, um, whether you come across very kind, encouraging people, or you come across the kind of people where you say, listen, when I'm in your position, I will never do that. (laughs) This is, you know, I mean, you learn from bad apples too, don't you? Um, I would never say that um, to a PhD student. Um, So I think it's the, it's the accumulation of, of predominantly good examples and some, some bad examples. But what I also want to want to tell you is 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 about an incredible group of researchers mm-hmm. that I had the privilege of engaging I have been having the privilege of being engaged with and it's it's um, a group called um, the reproductive health working group and they've existed um, for many decades now first supported I think by the Ford Foundation um, in the Middle East mm-hmm. and this is a group of um, very broad range of scientists from sociologists, anthropologists, political scientists, um, uh, health systems researchers, clinicians mm-hmm. who meet um, every year, uh, you know, as far as uh, there's funding and, and, and the situation. Um, and it encompasses the Arab world and, uh, and Turkey. And I got engaged, I got involved with this group when I was working in Egypt. Um, and they they discuss, they meet for three days and everybody presents what they're working on if they wish. And there is a system, a very, a sort of a culture of encouraging each other. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, what else to call it, but there are very senior, very senior researchers that you would struggle, you know, maybe to get an email out mm-hmm. of on a good day, uh, but who for three days listen and digest with you and support you, but not in a way, not in a... Uh, I'd say, you know, oh, you've done a good job. This is great. Fantastic. Keep going. No, in a very critical way. And I have yet to see a group of 
of, I mean, predominantly women, I have to say, predominantly women of whom some are, you know, many are very senior, very experienced, some are, you know, mid-career, um, and a lot of junior researchers who are so incredibly impactful on a career. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they will say, listen, you're going about this the wrong way, <laughs> but never never questioning your passion, never discouraging yeah. you. Um, but this kind of honest, supportive honesty that I found in that group, um, I think if, you know, if I'm ever a part of any such other group, my mission is accomplished yeah. because it really produces critical uh, thinking and networks for life yeah. um, of people that are sort of like-minded in the way they 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 work and that they mentor others. I think, and that concept of, as you describe it, supportive honesty I, is hugely helpful because ultimately you don't want to be doing the wrong thing. But equally, if, if you're doing something wrong, for somebody to point it out to you but say, hey, look, I can help you with this. This may not be, have you considered this? It's far more encouraging, um, especially for early career researchers. And that and that kind of advice is not just, it's, it's way beyond the technical, mm. right? It's not that you should be doing a multinomial regression versus a logistic regression. I think it's, it's also on the level of, no, you need to be more radical. Yeah. You need to be more politically engaged. Mm. You need to be more feminist mm. in order, you know, this isn't, I mean, most of the most of the questions we ask ourselves are ultimately not technical. Yeah. Right? They are broader, yeah. and we need to be more bold about that yeah. and, and how we engage in, on a societal, political level because this society isn't working out <laughs> for most people in it, and we need to and we need to push it towards a better place. That's so true, and I mean, maybe it's just from the reading recently that I've been doing on qualitative research. But it is that concept of theoretical perspectives. Where are you coming from when you're making these decisions and having these thought processes and having somebody critically sort of question you, not saying that one is right or the other, but question where those those perspectives are coming from actually is hugely helpful um, and, and a wider way. So, yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, and finally, the question that we're asking all our um, our guests, given that they've been huge um, mentors and and um, I know you don't like the term icons, but um, but inspirational figures to us. Um, what would you say, looking back at let's say your eighteen year old self, just starting out? Um, what would you say is one piece of advice that you would give yourself that you wish you'd had? Read more broadly, I would say, mm-hmm. and that links. Yeah, sort of preserve time to read and think beyond your field. Mm-hmm. And especially at that time, you know, looking back, you you realize without all the worries about grant writing and, you know, council committee meetings and all these things that take away time once you become a little bit more senior, just how much time you had to continue uh engaging on a more general level, you know, read as much as you can um, from from varied, um, you know, perspectives, including, um, you know, scientific literature, sociology, uh, political sciences, um, you know, background literature. I mean, you you really need, we need more balanced people. And the most people, you know, the people that are, that are really, 
um, as I said, the most impactful are the most well-read in a broader perspective. Um, and, you know, able to link historical political processes that have happened already so that we don't have to reinvent them again, right? If this has happened before and and, and we've learned from it, there is no need to, to, to re-examine. So, you know, these... You know, just one example is, is uh, you know, the respect for maternity care for us. I mean, obviously, and this is not a new thing, right? You go read back to um, literature from uh, from Anne Oakley and from, um, you know, Marjorie too. And a lot of this has been said before, you know, it's in the 60s and 70s. Um, so, you know, the, the, the more you engage broadly, I mean, it's just one example, of course, but... Um, the, the more you a I think are um, are able to see as I said the bigger picture also of, of the of the present but also of the future but also um, you you are primed to see and to to witness the the diversity in people's life life experiences because you know you can you can only provide good health care and build a health good health system if you understand that different people need it to accomplish different things. And I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Um, and a really important uh, theoretical way to think, actually. Um, so thank you so much. And on that note, I'm probably going to go off and watch some Shakespeare now just to expand my mind. Um, but thank you so, so much, Linka, for joining us today and for sharing a wealth of experience that you've had and your thoughts and the journeys that you've taken to forge this career in global maternal health. Thank you, Tista. So, Amber, what did you think? Well, I loved it. Great first episode. Well done. Um, I really loved hearing from Lenka and the wisdom that she had to share. And I think one thing that just uh, on a very personal level struck me was just her humility, her approachability really, really comes across, despite being Definitely. someone who's very influential in her field. Um, and I know, yes, she hits that iconic word, but, um, you know, I just felt, yeah, she was a really approachable kind of lady, which was fantastic. <laughs> but I loved her story that she shared right at the beginning um, about her experience with her mom. And um, yeah, it was just really moving and really stirring. And it just had me thinking about working in this field um, generally, whether that's clinically, whether that's in research, whether that's in advocacy, it's so challenging. And there will often be times where we probably question what we're doing or feel frustrated. And I think going back and thinking about why have I chosen to do this um, yeah. or why have I taken an interest in this um, is always really helpful whenever you perhaps get a little disillusioned. and speaking personally from my experience firsthand you know working clinically in Uganda I remember seeing an 18 year old first-time mum die of a PPH or postpartum hemorrhage in front of me and her little 12 hour old baby was in the dad's arms and I mean for me that's not okay and that's definitely one of the motivating factors for me why I do this work um, and I'm sure everyone including yourself and everyone listening will have different stories, various reasons why they are interested and want to pursue a career in the field of um, global maternal sort of neonatal health. And um, it would be fascinating to hear from you if you are listening. What is your motivation? What keeps you going? Um, please do get in touch on our social media. So that was a bit of sort of what 
I've been thinking about and ruminating on on the back of Linka's um, uh, words. What about you, Tista? What stood out? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more, Amber, because I think it is that initial spark or that initial energy that especially in periods where you can start to feel a bit jaded, where you can question mm-hmm. how worthwhile um, the work that you're doing is, whether the impact is actually getting anywhere or reaching the people you're hoping it will reach. Um, yeah. It is going back to those first principles that is hugely, hugely important to, to steer you and keep you on track. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't agree more with your comments about Lenka being so approachable and kind with her time. Um, and having worked with her firsthand, I know how passionate she is about building collaborations and partnerships. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was really interesting to hear about the network of researchers in the Middle East that she's been a part of, um, who sound absolutely fascinating. And I think going back to that question of how we share knowledge and ideas, I mean, this three-day annual meeting where they seem to be reviewing ideas and work conducted and providing, as Lenka put it, um, supportive honesty um, would be hugely invaluable um, for all research, not just early career um, researchers. So I think it would be really great to hear more about this and perhaps see if there are other countries or Mm -hmm. other subnational communities where this sort of approach can be brought in. Um, I also loved her top tip to read and absorb yeah. as much information about culture and society as possible. I thought it was great. <laughs> uh, yeah, which, you know, I totally agree. I think it's so important that we challenge ourselves to hear as many viewpoints, perspectives and ideas, even wider than health. And I think by doing this, we can make sure that the any statements or recommendations that we make um, are not only relevant but as Lenka mentioned, it does let us find links to piece these ideas mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. in a more cohesive fashion. And that probably has the potential for the most maximal impact. So although joking, I think I definitely will be whipping out a Shakespeare soliloquy or two in between my SPSS tutorials. Um, <laughs> but all in all, I mean... I really came away feeling um, incredibly inspired and energized and motivated by Lenka. So I hope you guys at home felt the same. And as Amber said, it'd be great to hear from you. What did you listeners at home think? Um, have you enjoyed today's episode? Please do let us know on our Twitter at Sanyu Sisters or on Instagram at Sanyu Sisters Podcast. We really want to keep that conversation going. And perhaps there's something that you find really inspiring that we haven't touched on because of time. Um, please do let us know your thoughts. We'd love to chat more about this outside of this conversation. Next month, Amber will be speaking to the wonderful Professor Dame Tina Lavender, who is Professor of Maternal and Newborn Health and Director of the WHO Collaborating Centre at Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. So we're really excited to share this with you. Until then, please do keep in touch Um, We are going to also be showcasing some of our fantastic work that's being conducted uh, by Katrina Witt and her team in Uganda. So keep your eyes peeled for that. We have plenty more planned for 2021 that we really can't wait to share with you. The Sanya sisters are well and truly back. Until next time. (laughs) 